the incomparable episode 169 november 2013 welcome back everybody to the incomparable i'm your host jason snell and we're here uh because 50 years ago some very clever people in england created a very strange interesting television show that has against all odds survived with a few bare spots here and there has survived <laughs> into uh the 21st century and of course we're talking about doctor who which turns 50 this very week and uh joining me to talk in general about doctor who we're just gonna geek out about doctor who for a little while that's what this is gonna be so get ready um, I've got some wonderful guests that I've, I've, I've put together who have a relationship with uh, Doctor Who that goes back uh, a little bit longer than 2005, I believe, and the Russell T. Davis uh, revival. You know him. You remember him from many past episodes. He's not on as much as he used to because he's very busy, but he's here tonight. It's Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hi. Uh, please state the nature of your medical emergency. No, you've got the wrong franchise. Oh, no. You're killing me. You're, you're, you're worse than Steve Lutz thinking Babylon 5 is part of Star Trek. It's just part of my crossover, Doctor. Heresy, Fandy. heresy uh, everywhere. Yeah, it is. It is. We've already we're off so far off the rails. You can't even see them from here. That voice you heard is Chip. Chip, are you going by your 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 full name now, or are you just Chip? TV's Chip. I'm out of the closet. I'm out of the blue closet. My name is Chip Sutterth, and I'm host of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. All right, he used to be that Chip guy. Now he is Chip Sutterth, host of the excellent Two Minute Time Lord podcast. I love it. I also love short podcasts, and the Two Minute Time Lord mm. generally delivers—not always, but generally delivers on the two minute <laughs> promise. I love that. It's great. I, I disclaim heavily when uh, when it doesn't deliver on that. And and Jason, may I say, you're a beautiful podcaster, probably. <laughs> Thank you very much. See, believe this man. Uh, and and Erica Ensign is back as well. She, too, appears on the Doctor Who podcast, in her case being Verity, which is another excellent Doctor Who podcast that lives on my iPhone in my little podcasting app. Hi, Erica. Hello. It's nice to be back. Yes, Doctor Who podcasts all around, but circular logic will only make you dizzy. <laughs> all right. So here we go. Doctor Who. It's a show you may have heard of. It's it's from the BBC. It came on in November of 1963, and 50 years later, it's still on. Now, there was a time, I have to admit, there was a time when I uh, I really believed that it was never going to come back. Because I, re- I remember uh, when Doctor Who went off the air in, what, 1989? Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. 89. With Sylvester McCoy, which I didn't, you know, believe it or not, I haven't even seen that last season of Sylvester McCoy. I, I never saw, I went, I went to college. I, I started in college <laughs> in the fall of 88, and... There was no like reliable TV, and I never, and I, I think I've, I've never seen that last, that last season. But it was off, and it was gone. And then there was the abortive attempt to bring it back on Fox, that led to just the backdoor pilot that they shot with Paul McGann, that basically didn't have the enthusiasm of the network, so they just sort of burned it off, and um, it was never picked up. And it really looked like Doctor Who was was dead 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 and i always thought that you know that was a shame because we would have this 50th anniversary where we'd look back and say boy it's too bad that that old thing didn't make it and in fact instead we are in the midst of this avalanche of doctor who stuff for the 50th anniversary you can buy doctor who shirts at hot topic (laughs) yep that kind of says it all right there I, i my my son my son went uh, as the 11th doctor for Halloween this year. And he went to school 
and was very happy to point out, and actually um, my wife took a picture and texted it to me at work, uh, that he was not the only 11th doctor in his class. Ooh. Oh my goodness. That's, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Good. Bow ties are cool. And, uh, and uh, yeah, fourth graders like bow ties and fezzes, it turns out. Um, so it, it's just, I, I kind of can't believe that we've gotten to this point, that, that, that this crazy show has, uh, has, has, first off in America, uh, speaking as, as, as four people in, in the United States, that it has taken off to the point where you can buy Doctor Who shirts and Hot Topic and people seem to actually know what this show is because there was that time in the 90s where uh, my favorite Doctor Who joke, by the way, I'm going to share it now, which is um, how many Doctor Who fans does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know, Jason. How many? <laughs> None. They just sit in the dark and wait for it to come back on. Oh. <laughs> it was a great joke. It's, it's irrelevant now. It's totally irrelevant. We can laugh about it now. But there was a time in the, in the, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, when it was uh, painfully true. Although, to be fair to the, those folks who were doing something during that time, there was an awful lot going on during the quote-unquote wilderness years. There were novels. There was uh, big Finnish audios. So it really wasn't quite as, as, as dead as people thought it was. Yeah, for me, I, I think actually the act of, of uh, graduating from high school and going off to college as the show was kind of fading out, it, it was this kind of double double fade out for me where I just sort of wasn't even aware of anything until I, I read somewhere in, I guess, 2004 that it was coming back. I remember the I would visit that the BBC's cult section every now and then right, because they had a cult right. section that had doctor who in it even the bbc had filed doctor who away <laughs> under cult at that point and then all of a sudden there was this it's coming back banner and it was uh and that was the russell russell davis relaunch announcement and that really started the ball the ball rolling for for all the craziness that we have today i, I think the the big finish uh audio and the uh and the novels those were it wasn't there out of the mainstream. I was a huge Who fan, and I kind of lost track of it, and then it was gone. And I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, pre-internet, maybe it was harder to find. You'd have to go to specialty stores, or you'd be uh, more tuned into fan conventions and things like that. And in America, there was less going on in any case. But I don't think I was aware until relatively recently, um, you know, certainly past the 1990s, how much was being produced in those years. So it wasn't clear. I mean, I think there was that there was that effect too. That even those of us who liked the show, if we didn't do the work, we didn't know that there was still stuff being produced that was, if not canon, at least you know close to canon that we probably would have enjoyed. If you were a British fan, um, you had a little more access to that. Uh, if you were an American, yeah. you had to be of the Starlog consuming variety of uh, <laughs> science fiction fan, I suppose, or just like my mom, who would do anything to search out Doctor Who stuff. But honestly, she kind of, she read a few of the first uh, New Adventures novels, I think, with the Seventh Doctor. And I, I think that it just didn't do it for her. So she didn't continue with it. And since she didn't continue with it, I certainly wasn't going to spend my own money on stuff. So I didn't really read them either. So so let's put our, um, let's put our history with this, since the show has 50 years of history. And and uh, last time I checked, all of us are, are younger than the show we're talking about. So, so far. So- Oh, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I, maybe uh, I could ask each of you in turn for a little bit of your your story about um, how you initially discovered uh, Doctor Who, and then if if uh, 
you know, if you've got a story about the wilderness years and if you if you kind of focused on other things and how, how you kind of uh, snap back to it, because now we've got people participating in podcasts about Doctor Who. So obviously that enthusiasm level came back if it ever went away. Uh, Chip, what about you? How did you uh, how did you discover this this uh, this crazy thing? And uh, and uh, how did you get where you are today? I discovered it in the uh, traditional manner of my forefathers, which was uh, a fellow uh, teenage geek in high school said, there's this show on PBS in the afternoons on Saturdays. And um, I discovered the I discovered Doctor Who uh, with Peter Davison, who was the fifth doctor uh, in his episodes were airing sort of in the mid 80s on PBS. And. At that time, I was just starved for science fiction at, at any at any level. I, I'd take it. It was on. It was on at an unusual time. I noticed immediately that the special effects weren't quite up to the level of, say, Knight Rider, but <laughs> um, but there it was still it was still new and different and um, and odd. Uh, maybe it was the British accents. Maybe it was uh, the uh, Rap, the constantly rotating cast, um, and Lord knows when I saw the the fifth the five doctors the episode that um, that first reunited um, all of the all of them um, that was the what twentieth anniversary right yeah, yeah yeah the twentieth anniversary and it it it, it first reunited um, all but all of the doctors except for uh, Tom Baker uh, who got a cameo. Um, uh, when I first saw that, uh, I was just amazed. Uh, there was a there was another um, multi doctor story before that, but that was before my time, so it might as well not have existed. But there is a sense when watching the the five doctors because that was I watched that early on in my ten years of Doctor Who fan too. There is a sense that there is this yawning chasm of history that you have you know nothing about, but you can tell that it's there and that these references are flying fast and these people are relevant and as a as a new watcher, you're like, I have no idea what's going on here, but obviously there's a lot to know and, and learn mm-hmm. that, that I have no idea what these references are at all. Indeed. And I, I, I kept up with it uh, through college. I remember watching uh, Sylvester McCoy's Remembrance of the Daleks on a bootleg VHS tape that had been converted from PAL to wow. NTSC and all that other good stuff, uh, crowding in a friend's dorm room to watch it. Um, but... Then the show disappeared, and just like you, I kind of forgot about it. Uh, my friend who got me into the show um, noted the uh, Paul McGann TV movie and um, called my attention to it, but I missed it. And then it fell completely from my brain until uh, until the RTD series came back, and that was when I not only rediscovered the show, but absolutely fell in love with it. To be fair, the 80s was... Um a televised sci-fi wasteland the 80s and early yeah. 90s other than like star trek the next generation there were not a lot there was in the in the mid 90s there was sort of a renaissance of like syndicated sci-fi series and the sci-fi channel and and a bunch of stuff like that in babylon 5 but uh, you know that that before that period it was kind of vacant and that's my recollection of 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 one of the reasons why that doctor who like you said kind of snagged your attention was there wasn't a lot and like well you know when you're when you're in the desert and and you know there's there's nothing to slake that thirst as a as a kid especially who's a sci-fi fan and you see 
some strange monster and a, a guy with a time machine, you're like, wait, wait a second. What is this? <laughs> There's more of this. There's lots more of this. Let's let's do that. Because, you know, there wasn't and I'm not saying it in a derogatory way that there wasn't anything else, but certainly um, you, it wasn't as if it was competing with 30 other shows that you could watch. And you're like, well, this, this is a weird show I haven't heard of. Forget about it. It was like there was nothing. There were there were so few shows and they would get canceled after four episodes and then you'd be <laughs> off to off to the next one. So that was part of it, too. Yeah, I was I was otherwise getting my science fiction fix from anime like uh, programs like Robotech and things like that. Um, Doctor Who, yeah. by comparison, was respectable. <laughs> which wasn't exactly the reputation that it had in Britain at the time. Sure. Erica, what about you? What was your what's your history with Doctor Who? You mentioned your mother. Was your mother a fan before you? In it, well, sort of uh, at the same time. I I discovered it in the uh, manner of my foremother. Uh she has been she was a science fiction fan from long before I was born. I I saw Star Trek or Star Wars in utero. So, I mean, I was I was raised on the stuff and I think the closest I can figure is I was about 5 years old when mom uh, stumbled upon Doctor Who on PBS, and because she was a stay-at-home mom at the time, I just watched whatever she watched, and that was a lot of Doctor Who. Huh. So I grew up on it, and I always tell people that for me, Doctor Who is like family, and I don't think people quite understand the degree to which this is true for me. It was almost like he was an uncle that just visited every week. It was <laughs> such a – it imprinted on me at such a young age. It was part of the fabric of our lives at that time. And it it was my favorite show. I my one of my good friends, whom I'm still friends with to this day, we met on the bus on the way to kindergarten and bonded because we were both fans of Doctor Who. So I mean, that's that's the kind of lasting friendship <laughs> that you can derive from from loving Doctor Who. And I just grew up watching it. Um, and my mom was such a hardcore fan. She was going to Doctor Who conventions uh, wow. when I was young. Uh, like other kids had parents who went on you know business trips. My mom would go off to Doctor Who conventions. And meet, you know, Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee and Colin Baker Ooh. and Tom Baker. I mean, she met most of them at the time. And I was very jealous, but I was too little to to tag along as far as she was concerned. She wanted to go have, have fun on her own. And like most kids, when they reach a certain age, they sort of start disdaining their family a little bit. And that's kind of what happened. I, I never disdained Doctor Who, but I, I sort of fell off a little bit when I when I went to college and, and late in high school. <clears throat> we, For me, there was never really a, a wilderness years period because my mom was such a crazy hardcore fan that she videotaped everything. I mean, there was a time when the, the Super Bowl or something was on and the same day as PBS was running a Doctor Who marathon. And this created quite a rift in our household. And eventually my mom just decided to rent a VCR because we didn't own one in those days, rent a hotel room and spend the entire day taping Doctor Who. So for me, it was just always at my fingertips. But I I dropped off for a little while. And then when I went into college, I kind of got back on the horse a little bit because I began the the grand tradition of proselytizing and had a couple of of roommates and and friends in college that I was like, you guys are are geeky Star Trek fans. You must watch Doctor Who. Mm. And I I did such a good job that actually my, my roommate Jeff, when the 1996 TV movie came out on Fox, he had an exam, a college exam scheduled against it and so he went to the exam uh, filled in the little scantron sheet a b c d a b c d a b c d a b c d was out in 10 minutes and ran home to uh, catch most of the movie so um, that's one of my uh, 
great achievements in life is is turning on somebody to Doctor Who that much that they were willing to uh, fail an exam. So for in, it. in the in the uh, in the wilderness years, you would you say you never really left? I I really didn't too much. It was actually um, the, maybe the late wilderness years because after college, when I got a real job, um, that was when I sort of stopped taking it upon myself to rewatch the stories. So I, I went through a kind of a really long drought after that and didn't honestly, when the show came back in 2005, I was not looking forward to it. Hmm. I was, oh. I was one of those grumpy old fans. that was just like, Oh my God, they're going to screw it up. I don't really want to watch it. So I didn't even start watching the 2005 series until I don't know, halfway through, maybe, maybe not until all of them had already aired. And my mom, of course, had them because she downloaded them and had them on, like, CDs or something. So when I finally got around to watching them, it took me a while to warm up to it, but then but then I liked it. But I, I guess I was never as into the new series as I was into the classic series until more recently when I discovered fandom, which was a thing that I did not know existed at all until about two years ago. Thank you, Twitter. Wow, you discovered fandom through Twitter. I did. And my husband, incidentally. Yes. Yeah, so, well, you. I was going to get to that. That you didn't just uh, <laughs> befriend your kindergarten friend on the bus through a love of Doctor Who, but you also met your husband through Doctor Who. So it's pretty impressive. He has a Doctor Who podcast, which I started listening to, and then started talking to him on Twitter, and one thing led to another, and now I'm moving to Canada. So there you go. Oh my gosh! I was going to ask if a well, the, you know, if a leaf fell out of the sky, it landed in your face, and then <laughs> yep. he rescued you across the street. But you know. A Twitter Nobody would get sky. that bird. reference, Glenn. Put, what? Come on. <laughs> That's obscure. What about a bird? Did a bird fall out it's, of the sky? It's a, it's a, uh, a Joss Whedon serenity reference to when Wash says, no, I'm a leaf on the wind, right? No, it's not. A what? It's oh not? Oh, my God. Have you not been <laughs> watching Clara, the show lately? I mean, it's about when Clara's oh, parents met and that one? Good. Great. All right. Great. What about you, Glenn? Do you, do you, did you also, uh, you know, as a nerdy uh, teenager or preteen, flip past PBS and discover a man with a long scarf, perhaps? Yeah, I'm assuming, as always, that I'm the oldest person on this podcast. It's and, usually the uh, case. It's usually safe bet. And, yeah, unless Greg <laughs> Noss is on, yes. That's right. An older man. You know, a team old man forever. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I recall, so I lived in uh, Eugene, Oregon, a lovely town, Oregon, uh, and um, PBS there, it seemed like Doctor Who was always on. There was some point, I don't remember how old I was, I think I, I must have been early teens because we moved to Oregon at a, when I was age 11, and I think for like six years while I was in my parents' house before I went to college, that it feels like Doctor Who was always on PBS. I have no idea how often it was on, but whenever I wanted to watch it, there was like a two-hour, you know, key of time marathon, or it would be like 11 at night, and I'd turn on the television, and there would be, you know, some... But they they showed... It was the weirdest thing, though. They showed uh, Tom Baker almost exclusively. Now, if I remember the time frame, they were not showing... uh, Because this was actually... After those episodes at air, this was years oh, later, yeah, yeah. so they weren't showing the contemporary Peter Davison and um, Colin Baker episodes, I don't think. I think they were showing Tom Baker mm-hmm. largely. And then later, and I'm trying to remember when it was, it must have been when I was, uh, it must have been after college, I moved back to Seattle in the early 90s, that's when I watched all the John Pertwee's. So whoever was rerunning it then, I don't know what cable channel had it in the early 90s, but I think it must have been cable, not PBS. Was it not on KSPS at that time? Because I know they were instrumental KSPS. in bringing Doctor Who to the Northwest. Oh, boy. You know, I have a recollection of it being cable, but I remember watching a seemingly infinite amount of John Pertwee because I didn't watch Pertwee until after 
Baker, and it's kind of like watching, you know, Roger Moore and then Sean Connery. You don't know what to make of things. <laughs> All right, let's take a break from Doctor Who for just a minute. Uh, we'll uh, then travel backward in time and return you exactly where we picked you up. But I want to talk to you about our sponsor. Uh, our sponsor is a returning sponsor. It's HostGator. HostGator.com. It's a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, if you're very own, HostGator can help you get started. They've got monthly hosting plans. They've got super easy one-click installs and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans. They've got VPS and they have dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime. That's a lot of uptime. And no matter your size or your needs, if you're a WordPress user, you will absolutely go ape for their one-click installs. You click one time, boom, you've got an instance of WordPress up and running, ready to go, ready for you to build your blog. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space, unlimited, I'll say that again, unlimited disk space and unlimited bandwidth. Amazing. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use. And if you need a little help, guess what? 24-7 tech support to ensure that everything stays running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com. That's H-O-S-T-G-A-T-O-R.com to learn more. And when you decide to buy, don't forget to use this very special coupon code. It's Snell sent me 11. That's S-N-E-L-L sent me 11, all one word, and you'll get 30% off of everything at HostGator. So not only will you be letting them know that you heard about HostGator on The Incomparable, you're going to get yourself a great deal, 30% off of everything at HostGator.com. And thank you so much to the good people at HostGator for once again sponsoring The Incomparable. Doctor Who is not, uh, it generally has only been the old series on non-commercial TV. They did cut up some some 70s episodes and have, you know, weird fade-ins and fade-outs for commercials. But generally, I think it was always on PBS in the U.S., with a couple exceptions. But they would do this thing where they would show, uh, I recall, I mean, especially the Tom Baker years, they would do, the Tom Baker ones they were rerunning, is they would take a ton of them and stick them together. So I could sit down and watch like two or more hours. They must have had a lot of space to fill on Saturdays and Sundays, and I must have had a lot Mm. of time to kill at that point in my life. But so I think I want to believe that I've seen almost all of the Tom Baker series and quite a bit of John Pertwee. But, you know, I've only seen a handful of uh, – I rewatched uh, uh, via Netflix in the last few years. I went back and looked at some stuff. I have never seen a William Hartnell episode in full. I don't think I've ever seen a Patrick Troughton episode. I've seen The Three Doctors. I've seen The Five Doctors. I've seen a little bit of Sylvester McCoy. I did watch the Paul McGann movie when it was originally aired because I was so excited – was so sad. You mean you didn't you didn't watch Roseanne instead? <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of America. Yeah. Oh my, yes. That might have been a better choice, strangely enough. And then I and then I was um Ouch. I can't remember Jason, you and I probably talked about when Doctor Who was being rebooted, even we were probably already talking about stuff pre podcast. Yeah. And I know I've seen I was well, I was excited to see Christopher Eccleston because uh, I thought he's a fascinating performer. And so I've watched everything since 2005. So my, my gaps are sort of one, two, five, six, and seven. Um, but, you know, John Pertwee and Tom Baker sort of define a big hunk oh. of the era. So I feel like I have a good grounding in that. And we're going to talk about, about, about good doctors and favorite doctors in a bit. But I'll give you my, I'll give you my quick uh, version of, of this sketch. I, too, uh, discovered 
I remember very clearly because I was in seventh grade, so it would have been like 1983, uh, 1982, 83, and I was flipping around on a Saturday afternoon, and on, I want to say the PBS station from San Francisco, KQED, um, not the one from Sacramento, which is where I watch most of my Doctor Who, there was a man in a long scarf climbing Mm. up the side of what looked like sort of a, you know, cardboard, um, I have to say, a, a tower and and being attacked by a guy in it, like a tentacle in a in like a, a guy in a suit with a tentacle and um i now know this is the power of kroll that i was seeing and i was again enthralled like what the heck is this thing this is not like other other things on tv and i love science fiction and let's let's see what it is and i started to watch it and and the 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 channel nine uh, the KQED uh, broadcasts were fuzzy where I was because we lived about a hundred miles away from San Francisco and also um, it, uh, sporadic. But it turned out that Saturday nights on the on the much closer station um, they would edit together an entire story in that omnibus collection and uh. and air it and and if it was short they would do two. So um, I, so I started watching every Saturday night, also not having anything else to do on a Saturday night. And they played Tom Baker, and I think this was what PBS stations did. They played Tom Baker through, and then they played Tom Baker through again. You would get to Legopolis, he would regenerate, the moment has been prepared for, and robot. Yes. And you're back to robot. And you're like, what the heck just happened now? It's the early 70s again. And, yes. and you just cycle through those kind of endlessly. And then I remember um, knowing enough about it, and I can't even remember... How, it must have been a Starlog kind of thing, finding out about Peter Davison as the as the Fifth Doctor, and getting really excited when it cycled all the way back around to Legopolis that we would be able to uh, shoot right on into uh, to Castro Valley. <laughs> oh, and and uh, and of course, um, it, then what happened was not Robot. Then it was Spearhead from Space, and we were back with John Pertwee. And I'm like, ooh, so close. And now it's going to be forever before we work our way back up to 1981 because. We just went all the way back to 1970. Ah! So do you think I was I watching the same stuff you were? Then it sounds like they cycled because I. Well, they, I, they yeah, I think well, I different think PBS stations could end. buy different packages. But anyway, eventually my PBS station locally did run through all of Peter Davison and then got to Colin Baker. Um, yeah. And like I said, I I think I caught the first season and parts of the second season of 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 uh, Sylvester McCoy I I in the in high school I definitely you know my my fever uh reached its peak I I have attended uh three Doctor Who conventions in my life one of which was last year and I I went there to be on a panel with, with Chip so thanks Chip you're welcome <laughs> and the other two were when I was in high school I went to one in San Jose and one in Sacramento and I met um Patrick Troughton actually which oh. was super awesome and that was right when the Two Doctors was coming out, which is his episode with with uh, Colin Baker, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool stuff. And actually, one of the re- great reasons to go to a convention in those days, if you timed it right, was that you would see episodes that that were just not available in America, and they would bring the PAL tapes with them and just play ep- an episode, you know, play a whole story in the middle in, of a giant convention hall, and everybody would just sit there and watch it, which was kind of yeah. crazy. Or possibly not available in the UK either, because The Five Doctors was actually shown, the very first airing was uh, in, I believe, in Chicago uh, at the convention there. And the people in the UK were PO'd. Very angry. And then there was the whole circulating the tapes thing, where I actually got, there are specific episodes that I knew really well, because I met somebody who in, like, I met a guy from Texas who sent me, like, three VHS tapes full of Peter Davison stories, but only some of them. And I know those really well, and others I've seen, like, once or twice. So anyway... 
you know, I was really enthusiastic for a while, and then, um, and this people who love Sylvester McCoy will 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 uh, be sad now. But you know, I was less interested in him and his and his uh, the style that they went with the show. And I was getting ready to graduate from high school, and I just sort of felt it just sort of fell off my radar, and I didn't pay attention to it anymore. And I. I uh I think I I think I taped a bunch of old episodes. I threw away the tapes at some point when I was home from college. I was like, well, whatever. I've moved on in my life. I the little TARDIS model that I built out of balsa wood. I Aww. put that in the garbage can. It's very sad. Aww. But um, so then and I I watched the Palm again uh movie too and was you know dis- <laughs> that was it and was disappointed. He <laughs> said, "I'm done." But but I so here's the thing is I remember when the um first episode of the of the new series leaked on the internet and that guy from the Canadian Broadcasting Company that yes. put it on BitTorrent or predecessor to BitTorrent and I downloaded it and I watched it and I was um I just wanted to see I was I was very curious and and uh I didn't expect much after after uh, all that time, and I was pleasantly surprised, and I was very excited about it. And so, I, I after watching it, I, I said to my wife, who had no knowledge of Doctor Who, I said, "You got to watch this." And then from there, I spread that around to to my friends. But the problem was, of course, that it didn't air in the U.S. for like a year after that. <laughs> um, but uh, that got me really back into it. The, so the new series rekindled all of that useless information that I had gathered over the course of about five years. Uh, when I was just turning into a teenager, the fact that the gunfighters was serial Z or Z for those who are listening in other Zed. countries, uh, things like that. Why do I? Because well, I read all of these freaking Doctor Who books about about shows I've episodes I've yet to see or that are lost forever. Why did I do it? I don't know. I wanted to know everything there was about Doctor Who. So it all came rushing back, and so all the all those parts of my brain that were just sitting there going, "Hey, I know lots of things about Doctor Who. Use me." I'm I'm a database of Doctor <laughs> Who knowledge. Now, 50 years, 50th anniversary, now I can access that information. So that's my that's my story. I came all the way back. Let me ask you about the I've never gone to any of the fan conventions and uh it seemed like uh, from what I've heard in the older days and not even that far back, but like when you talk about meeting Patrick Troughton that uh that the events uh even if they weren't let's say intimate that there was less um, there's more interaction. It sounds like things are a lot more distant these days at any of the kinds of events because there's so many more fans and the fandom is more intense. Whether it's Doctor Who or Star Trek or or whatever, did you did you have more direct interaction with uh, no. with some of the folks? No, it was still behind. I think what you're talking about is more a general sci-fi convention doesn't have that much interaction. I've actually found that the Doctor Who specific conventions tend to be very interactive. Oh, um, that's for example. Good. Okay. Yeah, for example, uh, Gallifrey One, the convention that Jason was talking about earlier um, this past year. Actually, that's where I got married, if you want to talk about how much of a Doctor Who geek I am. (laughs) Yeah. It's all coming out. It sure is. Uh, But you could just be standing in the – I was standing in the bar. I don't remember if it was this year or the year before. And I turned and looked and realized that that was Paul McGann standing two people away from me. Uh And just, you know, people hanging out. Uh, I'll back Erica up on this, um, not only because I was there to see the wedding, but because the um, there is something about Doctor Who fandom, particularly in the U.S., where there are there really is much less of a barrier between the professionals and the fans. Um, I, um, I as a podcaster, I've gotten to interview several of the several of the actors and writers and producers and. I actually got kissed on the cheek by a lizard at the last convention. Ooh. Neve McIntosh, Madame Vastra, she's lovely. Um, um, sorry, I'm I, I'm thinking about something else right now. All of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> do you need a moment, Chip? I said hi to young Amy Pond. Yeah, 
but no, it, it it's in, in America. It's it's a it's an intimate fandom, um, which belies the fact that it's it's blowing up and merchandise is in hot topic and all that other stuff. Oh, Comic Con, the Doctor Who booth, two years ago, the Doctor Who booth at Comic Con, three years ago, the BBC America booth at Comic Con, um, was busy but manageable. I bought an orange Dalek. Um, this year at Comic Con, you could not get within. Uh, stones throw of the BBC America booth, interesting. Because the do- yeah. and the Doctor Who merchandise line was insane, um, and you know mm-hmm. they had gone from ha- before having like tried really hard to gin up enthusiasm for it. They had like different props in different places, and you could take pictures of them and text <laughs> them and win win prizes and stuff. And they don't they didn't bother with that this year. They're like, yeah, we're you know it, it was it was totally insane. Plus the costumes at Comic Con, like the number of Doctor Who costumes that I saw. I mean, it was very clearly like taking over media. This media convention, it was like a, a recognizable piece, as opposed to being sort of like this odd thing off on the side that's obscure and culty. Same thing at Dragon Con. Dragon Con, I hear Dra- I mean, Dragon Con. This is the funny thing is, I feel like I'm a uh, I'm a huge sci-fi nut, and I've never gone to these things, and it's not out of fear or dislike or concern, like Comic-Con, Dragon-Con, all these things. I know we're getting off topic, but the Doctor Who conventions sound more appealing because uh, uh, because that intimacy you talk about. It's like I followed this stuff. I really – it's there's something about – you know, what do you seek out? You seek out some sense of authenticity or connection, and I'd rather go to a place where I feel like I'm part of a smaller crowd than a, than a huge, overwhelming one. There is more intimacy and authenticity at a Doctor Who convention, I find. I can't agree more. And actually, this, this year, uh, a lot of the Doctor Who conventions with the huge popularity are are smartly capping their registration yeah. and oh, making good. sure that they, they keep it sort of intimate, and I think that's a good thing. I, I did see more Doctor Who costumes at Dragon Con than I did probably anything else. Uh, I mean, even yeah, even more than Star Wars, which is, is kind of strange, different from the last time I had gone, which was was two yeah. years previous. But I I did go to the Doctor Who programming at Dragon Con, and I really it made me appreciate the Doctor Who specific conventions a lot. Let's just say that. Yeah, and, and I think there are a couple of reasons, Jason, for um, what that sort of tracking that you saw of the inc- the increased crowds at the BBC America booth and the explosion of fandom in the U.S. Uh, for one thing, it was a slow burn. Uh, we were getting the episode slower. You know, it was almost it was an instant phenomenon in the U.K. when the show came back in 2005. But it, as you said, it took a little while for the show to come back in the U.S. We're in the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> yeah, and the Sci-Fi yeah, Channel yeah. did not take care of the show no. very well. No. They aired no. it at random periods. They aired it late uh, and all that stuff. But it was still slowly building. And about the time that um, David Tennant is about to leave the series, um, BBC America gets the show. Yeah. And BBC America has a smaller audience than Sci-Fi Channel, but they take much better care of the show. And then immediately you have a new doctor, Matt Smith. You have a essentially a soft reboot of the series it's just uh going off in a different direction is a perfect jumping on point and that's when american fandom just really latched on and not even just american fandom all of north america at this point um uh, in canada doctor who airs on the space channel and the space channel when doctor who airs is actually beating their network programming as far as rating goes sometimes fascinating it's amazing too because as somebody who has seen doctor who through the years i I don't have a knock knock joke or a or a light bulb joke for this one, but I'm gonna just. It sounds like there's there is one here somewhere. We'll work it out. Doctor Who is always gonna be big in America. 
And it and it it was always I mean, in the 80s, you could argue that the show itself was the producers of the show um, actually started to like try to get into the what will work with fandom, what will make us break through in America. There's some interest in the show in America. And it I I would argue it maybe it it probably made the show worse (laughs) and not better. You know, the John Nathan Turner kind of catering to to fandom and and disappearing up its own backside a little bit, but but it, you know it always seemed like this it was never going to happen, right? I mean, that's what I I came to was like it's great we can talk about Doctor Who being this close to breaking through in America, and it was never going to happen. And then all of a sudden it happened. And you're right, Chip, it was BBC America, which needed to establish an identity for itself and was going to be able to use Doctor Who as a battering ram uh, to to get established in a way that the Sci Fi Channel had no need. Sci-Fi Channel, it was like leftovers from somebody else, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll buy it. It'll, it'll be cheap. We'll put it on." And and BBC America marketed it and used it as part of its identity. And you look at BBC. I, I made this comment on Twitter the other week. I feel like the BBC America, in some ways, is the real Sci-Fi Channel now because you look at some of the the, the shows mm-hmm. that they've got on, and they're, well, they're certainly running Next Gen and Battlestar enough. Well, that's that's yeah. true too. But something like Orphan Black, you know, that's mm-hmm. a sci is, is a sci-fi series essentially, but it's a BBC America original essentially. So that that it turns out that's what did it is the the BBC America wanting to establish an identity and having this new show that was at the perfect moment with Matt Smith taking over to reintroduce it to people and and there had been that bubbling beneath the surface where people had dis- discovered it on sci-fi and liked it and then it was ready was primed for that moment where it where it just sort of took off so you know i i, I was going to say that the um when the new show came back, I mean, I definitely, when I was spreading the word far and wide, one of the things that I noticed is that, um, that uh, so sci-fi fandom in a, in a lot of cases is a very male-dominated thing. Um, I would I would say historically, uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that I really enjoyed about the new Doctor Who is that I was able to share that with my friends who are women who really loved. Um, certain kinds of sci-fi shows, Buffy being an example, all of the women I yeah. knew who who bonded with me over Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I said, you got to watch this. And they totally got it. And I was so excited because when I was 14, I recall there being very few women around at the Doctor Who conventions. <laughs> and then this new Doctor Who was like, no, no, this is, this is a broad appeal. This is a show for kids and grownups. It's for men and women. And that was really exciting. And so I felt like that it was close, but it took that it took that moment. And and the Matt Smith uh, arrival, I guess, was that moment, and and here we are, hot topic, hot topic, yeah, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Should we talk about doctors? Since this is one of the amazing things about the show is that it has managed why it, it, other shows can't last because everybody gets old or they want a lot of money in their contract, and the shows end unless it's The Simpsons, unless it's animated, and then they can <laughs> replace the actors' voices with computers after a while. Is probably what's going to happen there. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. You know the ro- Robo Homer. Well, they will have said every word in the English language at some point. I am just... Maud Flanders. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, but Doctor Who works by regenerating itself, not just in the main actors, but also in the in the producers and um, and in the format. I know Chip, you've talked about that on Two Minute Time Lord a lot. That one of the beauties of the show is that it re- it reimagines itself in in lots of different ways. Sometimes from week to week, and certainly from from era 
to era and 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 uh you know we often mark that time based on the lead actors but but there are lots of other ways where this show has managed to adapt because quite honestly if you look at the first episode from 1963 you couldn't really do that show today it has to have changed a lot in the intervening 50 years that's that's right uh there's an academic in uh, britain named matt hills who has described the tardis is not a time machine but a genre machine <laughs> that yeah uh, and and, that's and that's true because you go over 50 years of doctor who and not not only has the lead actor changed, but the style of storytelling has changed dramatically. You've had um, espionage thrillers. You've had base, uh, bases under siege with creeping, crawling, uh, lumbering monsters. You've had humor. You've had romance. Um, James Bond spy sort of yeah, stuff. Uh, the the show seems to reinvent itself uh to fit the to fit the context of the of the times that it's being made in um 2005 Doctor Who is different from 2013 Doctor Who Certainly. is different from 1963 um and the actors change too and that's the that's the genius of the show um it, the most important doctor in uh, the show's history is Patrick Troughton who was the second doctor because he mm-hmm. was the he was the regener- he was the first regenerated um lead actor and if audiences hadn't bought it then the show would have died right that was that that fateful moment of saying we're going to do this show and it's going to be different but it's still going to be this show and and that was the that was yeah the defining moment in some ways was not starting it but continuing it and it really was a classic necessity as the mother of invention mm type of moment yeah. where they they really kind of needed William Hartnell to to get out for for multiple reasons and decided okay we're going to try this and see how it works and damn if it didn't it's a sci-fi show we could do it i've watched all the regeneration sequences because those are available in different ways so that i am familiar with and i think there's actually of all of them i think the david tennant's entrance and exit are two of the defining moments in how they dealt with that i don't know in a great way like the way he appeared or should say actually it's just eccleston's exit where he said i'm going to be gone i'm not going to be the same i thought in the new series um they really addressed the fact that it's not the same guy that this is a cheat that this isn't it's it's more emotionally resonant um the way they played it it, it, that Eccleston's like, I'm going to be gone. It'll be somebody else. Then Tennant shows up and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, everything's great. But it's, it's a different person. Then Tennant left and his his doctor you know, went out. I've watched that scene so many times, that last <laughs> bit where he says, I don't want to go. And, and the alternates the where he where they filmed it a few different ways. Um, that's some of the most moving stuff in the entire show. It comes to the heart of like, what is life about? What is this existence? How the Time Lords, they really haven't won anything. You know, they act as if they have, but they haven't. And I don't know. I think that's something that they developed a lot more later. I mean, they've played around with it more, too, regeneration energy and all the rest of it, too, in the in the last few years. The modern series, if, if anything defines the modern series, it's uh, examining the 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 accepted principles of Doctor Who in a way like how would people respond to these, which the old series, it was just like, all right, it happened. (laughs) And then they move on. Yeah, and I think that's definitely a big difference between the classic series and the new series. In the classic series, they were pretty careful most of the time to be explicitly saying, I'm just, I'm the same person. It's just, it's a different body and I'm a little bit different. In the new series, they take it in a different direction and 
Glenn, you liked it. I personally despised it. But <laughs> you, which wait? What did you? No. Well, let's get into it. So, which <laughs> did you not like the resistance? You felt like there was too much. I mean, there's an ego thing. Like the a new man walks away, right? Yeah. yeah. The new tenant really had. I mean, his doctor was full of ego at the end, and he was struggling. The doctor ascendant, all that stuff. I really that, and that's what the thing that I didn't like because I adored David Tennant as a doctor. He at the time almost supplanted Tom Baker as my favorite. Oh my god! And to see him go out that way is as a he became whiny and I, I just didn't like that. I, I, I felt like it was taking this this character I had put on a really high pedestal and I mean it was just like RTD just like took his little finger and boop tipped him off that pedestal and he crashed hard for me. I'm gonna get very personal here and say <clears throat> say I saw my grandfather go out that way. And I'm sorry, it's very personal, but it's true mm-hmm. is that I saw this man who'd been incredibly strong his whole life really fall apart at the end. And it maybe that's why it resonated with me more is it was exactly real to me in that sense that you get that point and even without you strip away the science fiction it's like he did not want to go he was not mm-hmm. ready to go and Tennant showed that that doctor showed that and then it's all hey it's Matt Smith good Geronimo <laughs> and I thought wow that's that's a really interesting way to take it I guess I guess you do point out that David Tennant was by far the most sort of human of all of the doctors yeah. and, and I, I guess it, when it comes down to it I prefer a doctor who is not that human I, I like the ones that are more alien so I, I think that the, they humanized him too much at the end for me it took it a little too far yeah Glenn Glenn and Erica are demonstrating the that the Rorschach test nature of this TV show because yeah. because the show does change so much and you um, the the different actors play the doctor in such a different way and the different styles of storytelling uh, more bitter battles have been fought in Doctor Who fandom than um, than on the ancient fields of uh, on the ancient medieval fields over what Doctor Who is and who the right kind of doctor is and all that stuff. Um, um, how sentimental you want your storytelling. And um, classic Doctor Who was rarely sentimental. Um, mm, modern Doctor totally Who true. is extremely sentimental. Um, uh, I, I, I side more with Glenn as far as uh, enjoying seeing um, the 10th Doctor, you know, with his with his frailties and his excessive attachment to the life that he was living and not wanting to not wanting to give that up whereas um somebody who's used to seeing this for for 50 years worth and accustomed to the changes and who wants to see their doctor to be a little above these human frailties will have the reaction that Erica had um and and that's that's one of the things that makes doctor who so delicious that you can that if you don't like what's going on in a few years, it's going to be totally different. <laughs> Just wait a minute, and it'll be different. We have one more sponsor for this episode, but guess what? It's a very special sponsor in that he is on this episode. Glenn Fleischman, how is it that you are the sponsor? And welcome. It's very nice to have you as a sponsor. It's very kind of you. Yes, I I am the sponsor in that many people on this podcast who participate as regular panelists, including yourself, will in fact benefit from the thing we're going to talk about. (laughs) Hmm, Intriguing. Okay, stay tuned after the podcast is over to hear a little bit more about Glenn's new Kickstarter for the magazine. And if you want more information and to support the magazine's Kickstarter, which includes seven stories by people who are regularly on The Incomparable, go to the-magazine.org slash book. And stay tuned at the end for a little bit more from Glenn. 
so this is this is the 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 trap with this character is that you're saying goodbye to the actor and you can you can play it completely straight and say well he's just going to turn into another person he it shouldn't bother him that much um and and in the modern show there's there's been more of this story of sort of like well let's play it like a death because um that way you get the drama of of somebody considering the end of their lives in a way that um I don't know. I felt some of that in the like the caves of Androzani, which is the last episode of of uh, Peter Davison's run, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. where he he sacrifices himself and in yeah. fact says, um, "I might regenerate. I don't know." And 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 says, "Is this death?" He he is thinking he might not make it, and 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 that's interesting because then then you can play it and say this is this is somebody dealing with mortality even though they're actually kind of almost immortal um but th- it's just uh, you could you could play it either way and i totally see both sides is i can enjoy david tennant saying another man walks away i don't want to go and i do and, and i've seen that scene a million times cuz when i went to the doctor who experience in london um it plays on a loop as oh you're walking God. through, so <laughs> torture. That sounds like a perfect vision of oh, hell. For I some. don't want to go over and over go. and over I and over. Want... Does he do? Do they do it all the different versions? I don't want to no, go. No, it's just the, it's go. just the the one that aired, and oh it's a, a two minute loop, and it goes on with the wow. music and everything the whole time, and it's it's uh, I it's burned on my brain now. But the point wow. is, the point is, <laughs> I can enjoy that, but at the same yeah. time, have some hesitancy in the idea that well, but but you're not really going. You're not really dying. You're you're just changing and. It, you know, and that's the dichotomy of uh, of the show is that I mean, in reality, it's a different actor. I mean, we're we're coming into the fiftieth anniversary, and we're going to see multiple doctors interacting with each other, and that that happens because they're different actors. I keep waiting for the episode that's called the Ten Doctors, where it's literally the same actor ten times. Oh yeah, that would be genius. Yeah, it could be him with the same face. It doesn't have to be. It just makes it easier to have different actors playing the character. <laughs> you could have them all be the same one, and it would that's still. True theoretically work it's just it's a it's a cheat and it's fun but uh you know we all know that the reality is that it's just they the that that actor's contract is up and he wants to go do something else or he's been fired and they put a wig on the new guy and they'll just shrug and say well i guess he i guess he's gone um and and then and then we'll move on should we talk should we talk about um specific doctors for for a minute i want i wanted to do that i um i was on a podcast a little while ago uh, that was the Mad Man with a Box podcast, which was really enjoyable. And uh, he asked me who my favorite doctor was. And I, I said, I, I tried very hard not to say Colin Baker, because that's a terrible, terrible choice. And yet, as a child of the 80s, um, he was the doctor when I was at, at at my peak of being a fan. Those episodes were airing, and I really wanted to see them. And I have a great and abiding love for Vengeance on Veros, because like it's basically the Doctor Who version of Max Headroom, and Max Headroom is one of my favorite shows of all time, because it's about television and media commentary and things like that. But it's, it's you know... It's not a good choice, and yet, in some ways, he's my favorite. And otherwise, I guess I would say David Tennant. But um, I'm, I'm. There are so many to choose from. I was listening to to Erica to your podcast, Verity, and the amount of love for uh, Patrick Troughton. I feel like is at an all time high now with the discovery of those two mm-hmm. new stories that they oh, found yeah. in a in a in a way station somewhere in Africa <laughs> and have and have restored. That that everybody seems to have come back to Patrick Troughton as being definitive. And I've seen maybe three. Patrick Chapman stories and he's great he's great but I, I feel like I, I mean half of his almost half of his run now not over half it's now almost half is lost to history so it's hard to say 
Um, so I don't know whether, you know, you. I was assuming everybody who is allowed on Verity has to say the second Doctor is their favorite, but you suggested it's probably <laughs> Tom Baker. Is that right? Yeah, actually, Liz, I think, is the only one that says that Troughton is her absolute she favorite. Is, she is, well, okay. She, that's she true. Shouts, she shouts she the shouts rest it, of us yes. down enough. <laughs> she, yes. She's very enthusiastic about Patrick Troughton. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tom Baker is my doctor. He's he's the one that I grew up watching. As I said, um, for a little while, David Tennant almost surpassed that. But then, see, I can never truly judge a doctor until they're not on the air anymore. Yeah. Because my favorite doctor is usually whoever I'm watching. Sure. Um, so in the wilderness years, it was Tom Baker was my favorite and Peter Davison was my second favorite because those are the ones I knew the best. Sure. Um, at this point, Matt Smith is really up there. Although I think the longer he goes on, the more Matt Smith we see mixed in with the doctor Hmm. and that that bothers me a little bit so you don't um, have that much longer to wait though so i know oh my god oh my god so right now honestly i think my favorite doctor is peter capaldi yes he's perfect i love him he's perfect yeah he's such a terrific actor it's gonna be it's also i'm glad they went older like you know they're getting younger and younger Mm -hmm. and you're like baby doctor doctor (laughs) tardis babies tardis babies it's gonna happen i don't know yeah the thing that excites me about Peter Capaldi is he's an established enough actor and he's played so many roles. We have absolutely no idea what kind of doctor he's going to play, yeah. whereas most of the doctors have, to a certain extent, played themselves. Um, you, 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 can see, you, you can see David Tennant under the 10th Doctor. You can see Matt Smith under the 11th Doctor and all that. Peter Capaldi, uh, I think he's wide open. I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be completely surprised to see what he comes up with. Capaldi aside, Chip, do you have a favorite? Uh, I, you know, in terms of the actors, I don't think a single Doctor is a bad Doctor. Um, I, I like them all. The the stories that were told during their years, uh, that may I know. be a different story. Mm-hmm. Paul McGann, if you listen to those Big Finish audios, he's so great. Phenomenal. But his show yeah. was not Phenomenal. that great. But he, he's a great mm-hmm. yeah. actor, and those stories, he, he's a great doctor, but only if you close your eyes. But da- but uh-huh. David David Tennant is totally my doctor. Uh-huh. Um well, no, but uh, I say that I, I always have to disclaim because Matt Smith is is a genius. He is uh, he, he I think he is a more he's made more creative choices in the role. But there is something about the familiarity and the humanness of David Tennant and um, and uh, Peter Davison that really appeals to me. There are some Doctor Who fa- fans who want to know who want to feel like they know the Doctor. And there are some who, I guess, uh, want to feel more awed by mm. the Doctor. Um, but I, I'm, I tend to prefer the actors who seem more accessible in the role. And actually, Jason, I'll back you up. I really like Colin Baker a lot. The stories did him little service, but and his costume didn't really work either. And, and, no, <laughs> it's but too bad. The he 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 is against type in 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 the sense that he is brash and he is out there. He is a force of nature as opposed to Patrick Troughton, just sort of. Uh, um, subtly hiding in the shadows and making everybody underestimate him but um colin baker has a sense of authority around him that i really really like and uh, speaking of big finish um he's been redeemed if you listen to big finish audios his his stories are amongst uh, are among the best he's a really good actor i I actually feel in some ways he he was you could you you could almost say that he was cast too young because uh, he is. He, uh, yeah, he's a really good actor, and I think he got it was the wrong time, and the wrong show, and the wrong decisions being made by the by the people who produced the show. And it's and it's too bad. And then he had to get the axe because 
the show was going down the drain and they were trying anything they could to keep it to keep it alive. It's a shame. Glenn, do you have a favorite? I do. I don't know if this will be an unpopular choice, but um, it's influenced by. So Tom Baker was my Tom Baker was my first doctor. So and everyone's yeah. doctor for a long time. So uh, I've always liked his performance. I've seen him in other things, and he's just there's something about the actor I really like. I just um, he's enthusiastic and bizarre. Yes, and it's terrific. And so I always try. I always view the doctor through the eyes of of Tom Baker of that interpretation and so Christopher Eccleston I have to say is probably my favorite mm. doctor even though I don't think he had the greatest scripts I think they were okay I think they still did a lot of building and there was some there were some quite good episodes in his short run but there was something about the way so Tom Baker could smile so broadly that you thought his head was going to split in two <laughs> and I thought Eccleston captured the sort of manic have got nothing to lose kind mm. of thing that I think there's a core across the show that um, I've always thought I've talked about how like I like the doctor because the doctor runs into danger, not heedlessly necessarily, but not, not necessarily safely. Like he's always on the verge of perhaps he's going to die and he doesn't exactly care because he knows he's doing the right thing. Maybe that's part of why it was rough to take some of the tenant stuff at the end because he resisted and the doctor never resists. He always just runs into it and then he sort of succumbed. And I just like Eccleston sort of glee, with which he launched himself into things, even though he was this rough sort and he had this rough accent, a rough face, all that kind of stuff. He's this rough character. I just, I don't know. I liked the vibe and I liked his anger sometimes. And, um, oh, yeah. uh, but the scripts, I would say, you know, I've gone back and watched some of those and someone I was, I think starting at the beginning and tweeting about it and going like, does this get better? Or is it just this cheesy? <laughs> it does get series? better. I'm it like, does. <laughs> oh. Like it does, but you know, you have to see those and they're developing character and Rose becomes so much better. I mean, she starts sort of weak and weird, but she becomes a strong character and more important. And then you Jade just have along. to get past the farting aliens. You do. That's see, the, that's why oh, I, I don't, I don't start people at Rose anymore. I actually encourage people to start with the 11th hour, catch up to yeah. real time, and then jump back mm -hmm. to Rose because by then they should probably be emotionally invested enough to sit through the farting aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a th – this is my pet theory about the doctors, which is um, which is that sometimes I, I, I like to draw kind of connections between them. So, like, like I, I sort of feel that Tom Baker – Glenn, actually, Tom Baker and, and Christopher Eccleston in some ways are similar to me in that they, they feel like – aliens in a in a really strong way like this guy is playing on a whole different yeah. level he's they not quite really odd he's sometimes. not quite human <laughs> whereas uh david Tennant, i draw the line i mean it's the obvious line but i draw the line to peter davison that 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 yes. they both they both have a similar kind of energy and 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 exuberance and and there's that wonderful little uh special uh short where they meet in the tardis and and that's and now that's, they're related and now they're related by marriage oh my God, they are related much. so funny uh and then and then uh matt smith i mean i guess the obvious parallel is to patrick troughton because if you look at the patrick troughton stuff i, I clearly i mean matt smith has said that he watched the patrick troughton episodes and there's a definite connection yeah. there and i i love that that the show has been on when we talk about 50 years and and 11 lead actors that it's been on long enough that the um the the casting the lead characters the eras can echo and have these clear kind of echoes of it, this is kind of like that in in a way that it couldn't be when there were four i think you're right and my biggest fear is that the peter capaldi era is going to uh echo the john pertwee era which is my yeah. Yeah. Which is my least favorite era of Doctor Who by a landslide. What, why is so. that? Because he was stuck on Earth and he was James Bond? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I don't love. I don't love those episodes either. I. I, yeah, I watched. Yeah. I watched them, but yeah, they're not. I love. But Sarah Jane. The thing we got. Sarah Jane was wonderful. There are good. There are good. Um, Pertwees. I. I remember. I remember really liking the Ambassadors of Death. I really, I remember really liking Inferno. But they Inferno, were Inferno. I love Inferno. Well, and Ambassadors of Death is strikes me wasn't that different from um, oh what's is it the Moon Base? What's the one where they where there's the transmat that gets and the Ice Warriors are in it? So it's or is that Seeds, Seeds of, of Death? Seeds of Death. Seeds of Death. You know, I, I I like those, but I feel like they're the off format episodes. They're not the normal ones, which is like you know, which is the standard Pertwee episodes, which are boring to me. My favorite Pertwee episode, and I haven't seen all of them recently enough to remember them, but is uh, the Curse of Peladon, where they're you know the Doctor and Joe travel off the Earth. So it's <gasps> definitely more like a, it's definitely more like a, a, a Tom Baker style episode. So well, Inferno is is a parallel universe story, mm-hmm. which is what makes it so strange. And the Brigadier has an eye patch. And is he an evil Brigadier? I don't know that one. Yes, the uh, Brigade Leader. The Brigade actually. Leader. Yeah, it's a, everybody's evil in that parallel planet, but that's ah, okay because so it gets eye patch rather than the yeah. goatee. I see exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the missing mustache. Mm. All important. <laughs> yep. It's it's far uh, it out there, like David Lynch. Yes, uh, unfortunately, it's also what a seven part serial seven parter. <laughs> so it goes on forever. It doesn't feel that long though, because they had the genius idea to throw in the alternate alternate universe thing, which was a late addition to the script. Uh, that it, it makes it, which it is what I remember the most, of course. Mm-hmm. The, the, those PBS Saturday nights were fascinating because it was like um, you didn't know how long it was going to run. It was the last thing on the channel, and so you'd get like Inferno, and you'd be watching, and then two hours pass, and you're like, "When is this going to end?" Because <laughs> there's no indication of how long the show was going to be. This is before yes. TiVo and and round the clock scheduling. It was literally they would just start do- press play on Doctor Who, and the guy at the PBS station would go to sleep, and and it would run for who knows how long. <laughs> And that's a problem with watching it in the omnibus edition because that's not the way that it was meant no. to be seen. It was created to be episodic and run one week at a time. No, the pacing is all wrong because every 25 minutes there's a swelling of music that suddenly dies off and a really exciting thing that turns out not to be that exciting because you're seeing the resolution of a cliffhanger without having thought about the cliffhanger, which is... exactly. Yeah. And that's the biggest difference between the classic series and the new series. The classic series was a serial. Um, mm-hmm. It was almost it almost uh, it almost has its heritage in the uh, old movie serials, where um, twenty five minutes of story and then you come back next next week. Uh, whereas the modern series is modern television done yeah. in forty five minutes. Um, the episodes complete. It's much more pacey. Um, the you 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 miss the opportunity for that big cliffhanger at the end. On the other hand, it's much more compact and focused storytelling. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's a, it's a yet another way that the show has um, reinvented itself over the years. Um, before we go, because we've been talking for almost an hour, but I wanted to say before we go, I wanted to ask if you if you had any particular favorite stories that you wanted to talk about, because we have fifty years to choose from, and I know every Doctor Who fan has a has has a favorite. Or I suppose if you want to be negative, you could talk about your least favorite. But let's we can keep it positive <laughs> and talk about talk about a favorite some a favorite or two things that have stuck stuck uh, stuck out for you that you would also recommend to other people. I like Erica's idea of also where would you recommend people start? Eleventh hour is probably a, the the right answer there. I think maybe I would say. Mm-hmm. Although my kids, my kids, and I, well, my whole family is now watching from the beginning from 
rows, but that's because the kids have been we've jumped over so many different episodes now that they have no sense of 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 continuity back beyond Matt Smith and so I I'm and I skipped the episodes that aren't as good and so now I'm like all right we're going to watch both of those Daleks and Manhattan episodes nobody's oh, going to like them but we're so going to watch sorry. them Jason so Jason if you were a good father you'd have started them with the unearthly child uh, I don't have I don't have those on DVD but I have the entire new series on DVD let me tell you season season 3 uh, disc two, whoo, that is, I think it was dust on that disc. I don't think I put that in even because that's, that's the two Daleks in Manhattan and then the Lazarus experiment and, 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 uh, 42, which is not bad as much as it is kind of not that interesting, but that's not a good disc. And the next disc is human nature and blink. Oh, what a, there's some variety in that. Anyway. Anyway, good episodes, bad episodes, uh, where, where you should start. I got one. All right. I, mean, I don't know if this is. I don't. It's God. It's one of those things about where, if you like an episode that doesn't have enough doctor in it, what are you saying? But I like Turn Left, quite a bit. Huh. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it because it's telling something in the negative. It's the absence of, uh, and so you don't get the acting. You get very very little, right? Of David Tennant in that episode. Uh, I love Catherine. You get his Tate. shoes. <laughs> you, get, <laughs> you get the hand falling off the. Uh, the uh, cart going to the ambulance with the, um, but the but I think it's one of the it's an interesting episode like a lot of episodes are that don't have much of the actual doctor in them is it defines the show by that by the negative space by what's not there and I I don't know I love Catherine Tate I love uh, uh, Wilfred um, what's his name right said Fred I can't remember his name Bernard Cribbins yeah. playing Wolf yes. Wolf yes. Mott love love him um, just love so much of the acting in the episode and just that notion of okay. Let's put it on the line. Here is everything this guy did, and where would the Earth be? And you never get to see that. Occasionally, you get to see that, like with the uh, the whole uh, arc of the Master um, and uh, Freeman. Uh, oh, now my brain's gone dead. What's her name? Uh, uh, I Martha. Freeman. Let's just call her Martha. Yeah. Uh, in that whole arc, and you get to see kind of what happens if uh, the Doctor is locked up and and so forth too. But I don't know. So turn left. I like. The ending is chilling. Where um, it's, it was silly when he runs out. Um, you know, and everything says bad wolf on it, but there's that bit where the two of them are in the shop and they're, he's poking at the big dead bug. And she says, there was a girl. And she, she said, what does she say to you? And he, she said, she said two words, she said bad wolf. And I, Oh, I get chills. That's that moment. <laughs> and that sets in play the whole, that whole next arc and a bunch and a lot of things that follow. So I don't know, weird choice possibly, but one of my favorites. Interesting. Chip did a, uh, did a, Hmm, that, that, had seemed to have so many layers of meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 was me doing my radar O'Reilly that ah Bach moment. <laughs> ah, Bach, yes. Um, but yeah, I love that one. But uh, I'm going to mention a classic episode, um, which is not usually my forte because I'm admittedly a bigger fan of the new series than the classic. But the perfect gateway drug to the classic series, I think, is the Sylvester McCoy episode, Remembrance of the Daleks. Hmm. It is one of the best Dalek stories that the classic series ever did. Plus, you, it's the first full story that uh, features Ace as a companion, uh, and you get an idea of what Doctor Who could become in the future because you have an in, you have an intriguing relationship between the Doctor and the companion. 
you have an emotional arc for the companion and some of the storytelling some of the direction um feels very modern it was the first episode of uh of doctor who that i remember watching thinking this could actually work on american television um i i i I highly recommend it. Plus, it's the first time we see on camera, without any cheats, a floating Dalek. Yes. Um, but Remembrance of the Daleks is a, Remembrance of the Daleks is a lot of fun, and um, and if you've watched a lot of the new series, it will help ease you into the classic series. Erica, what about you? Uh, well, as I already said, as far as a place to start, I think Eleventh Hour. But I, I also want to say that if if it's somebody that I know they're a big enough geek that they're willing to sit down and commit to the entire new series, then I'll tell them to start with Rose because mm. why not? Uh, but as far as a favorite episode, I'm on record as uh, the Reboss Operation being my favorite Doctor Who story of all time. Wow! But I will direct, <laughs> yeah. But I will direct you to the Verity episode uh, in which we talk about the fourth Doctor. We cover the Rebus operation in detail, so I won't talk about that now. Um, up until just a couple of weeks ago, the other favorite episode of mine was The Deadly Assassin, because I'm a sucker for, for stuff that happens on Gallifrey. I like the, the history of the Time Lords. But just in the past week and a half or so, I watched... Uh, for the very first time, the Patrick Troughton 10-part story, The War, War Games. Games. And I was fracking blown away. I hmm. could not believe how good this was. It's one of those things where everybody kept saying, it's amazing, you have to watch it, it's so good. And usually when people build things up like that, I scoff at it and then I watch it. It's been built up too much and, and I just I end up disappointed. And this was the absolute opposite of that. It was better than I was led to expect. We were going to watch one or two episodes a night. I ended up like I just kept saying, no, Steven, start the next one. Can we please watch the next one? We went through five episodes before it got to be like one o'clock in the morning and my eyes were closing and then we watched the other five the next night even my pbs station broke that into two weeks yeah (laughs) because that's a lot of episodes it is and really watching it all at once is not the best way to do it it's it 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 should be broken up because again that was the way it was meant to be seen but it just it's 10 parts but it cooks the pace is amazing you have patrick troughton being awesomely patrick troughton and jamie and zoe which are one of my favorite targets teams um being great and it's it's fantastic they just there's a lot of running around but it doesn't feel like running around it's like everything has a purpose and then you get the time lords and i always loved deadly assassin because i like the time lord stuff and now i understand why some people sort of are a little bit itchy when they watch deadly assassin because i feel like deadly assassin did sort of cheapen the time lords because in the war games they are badass it's like they can look at somebody and and make them hurt. They're just like these godlike beings, and they're rather petty and backbiting once you get around to the deadly assassin, which I still love because it's a great story. But I, if you're a classic series fan and you haven't watched the War Games, I can't recommend it enough. I think the pace of the Troughton episodes that I've seen is surprisingly good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what happened in the 70s, but the, the pace of those shows... I feel like it's slowed down because the the Troughton stuff I think moves a lot better than a lot of the what I remember of the Pertwee and 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 Tom Baker eras being just kind of slow moving, right? But Troughton mm-hmm. in the sixties, it doesn't get slower as you go back. There's some really nice pace in the sixties. Although maybe it's maybe it's just that the the ones that we still have existing happen to be the ones that are, that are quicker good. paced. Huh. That could be. We don't know. The, the slow ones, they, they those are the ones that they, they delete that. It's really slow. <laughs> uh, 
so in my list, um, you know, I, I feel like traditionally your trouble with tribbles and city on the edge of forever of Doctor Who is the city of death and the caves of Androzani. Those are like mm-hmm. the two that always mm-hmm. come up. And I watched the city of death with my with my wife like last year and it was painful because she really didn't enjoy it. And I'm like, oh, but this is the this is the like the trouble with tribbles of Doctor Who. It's and and you know, it's it's it is it is funny, but it it, it uh I, I worry that I I built that up too much and, and as a fan I, I I worshipped it too much. And Caves of Androzani similarly is kind of in that Robert Holmes kind of way. It's a satire, but it's kind of confused and the plot's kind of weird and I have to be honest, I don't like that story. Uh, I was trying to and it turns out the reason <gasps> I really like the Caves of Androzani is for some for sort of the last episode and a bit, not for the setup, which is really not that great. So, um if I had to pick a classic episode, I'm actually going to go, I mean, Vengeance on Veros is my is my favorite, but if I if I had to uh pick another one that I would recommend to people, it would also be Colin Baker, it would be Revelation of the Daleks, which is a black comedy mm. with Alexi Sale from The Young Ones as the oh. the DJ that is playing music in this place and the whole plot is basically that the that that they're going to cure are, are they are they making Daleks? Are they feeding people? But it's all they're using dead bodies to do it. It's this horrible mm-hmm. thing that happens in the in the the world of tranquil repose. And Colin Baker's wearing a a green, uh, blue coat for a while that makes you not notice his outfit so much. <laughs> wow, Jason, you like him dark and violent. I don't yeah, know what this about yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's it's that's a the, I don't know. I think that that offset some of the craziness of of that era was that was the it, it is dark. It is dark and violent, but I, I I really like that. That revelation of the Daleks is funny too. It's so dark and so funny. But you know, I'm an old softy. Oh, I was going to mention Talons of Wing Chang, which is horribly racist, <laughs> but is also really great. And even and there's a giant rat. Um, and there's a killer mannequin, or no, a killer uh uh, uh marionette, killer puppet. Oh, I love it. That's scary. Um, but I'm a I'm a softy, and I I do love the new series. And uh, although again, obligatory uh, episode to promote is Blink. I am going to say the girl in the fireplace, which I cannot. I could watch oh. again and again and again oh. and again, and it gets me every time. Every aspect of it uh, kills me. The I love the horse. I love the weirdness of the two different <laughs> the two different time frames. Um, I like how um, enthusiastic Mickey is about being on a spaceship and how Rose has to deal with the fact that she's like trying to be too cool for school. Like, oh, I do this all the time. And he's really enthusiastic. Um, I love the the connection between um, David Tennant and Sophia Miles in that. And um, the end where they don't know what's happened and why they're there and they dematerialize and you see the portrait and it turns out that the ship is yes. the SS Madame de Pompadour absolutely kills me every single it's, time it's we know something the doctor doesn't i know once. they never they never know the answer the and in some ways time. so so for me that's the that's 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 my uh that's my new series episode i i i it kills me so quite a dichotomy there <laughs> i know i know well old 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 series i kind of feel like i want the i want some extra darkness to take the edge off some of the trappings of the old series new series i'm all about the love schmaltz city there but there's like barbecued people parts in girl in the fireplace too and a horse <laughs> are there barbecued people parts i don't remember the people parts oh yeah that's 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 the whole point is they're using people parts to to rebuild the the spaceship it was beautiful the glass robots glass-headed robots yeah i don't know how they work why are they necessary i don't care they're glass-headed cool. robots how do they work anti-oil what is that i don't know 
It's great. Bananas are good. Thank you. Anything else we should uh, anything else we should talk about? Or we've we've talked for an hour. We could talk for fifty more years, I suppose, about Doctor Can we, can really we talk about to. what we expect from the upcoming episode? Or is that oh yeah, too so much? this this we're gonna drop this uh, the week of the anniversary, and then I should tell everybody who stayed with us this long that uh, we are gonna try to get a, a group of our usual uh, Doctor Flash cast people Flash. together on the on the day of the uh, on the day of the event to uh, talk about the episode after it airs, but. Um, but yeah, sure. Let's uh, <laughs> go ahead, Glenn. Well, see, so Donna comes back, and then the well. Okay, now I just want to go on record. Predi- as being... Sorry, I should do this properly. Predict, predict, prognosticate. <laughs> you you have to go back and vocoder this in post. Sure. <laughs> I am a Dalek. I I just want to go and point out that I was one of the people who realized that River Song was Amy and Rory's daughter long before it was ever revealed. Long, long. You remember I was talking about Glenn it called it. He called it. Yeah, I called it. I called it long ahead of time. So uh, uh, I got no idea what's going to happen. But it looks, you know, the thing is, often the new the they preview these things, and you're like, ah, and this one, I'm just like, it's got every. I mean. There, it's such a fan thing, right? It's got the moment in it that they hinted at, uh, you know, at the end of time. It's got all these little bits and pieces that are all pulling everything together. And, um, you know, it's got one of our favorite doctors. It's got one of the best actors who's ever lived in it. It's got some of the favorite companions. It's got Rose looking crazy. So it just feels like it's going to be a big box of fun. And I just hope they can pull it all off. But it looks good where it doesn't have any cheesy kind of style to it, which some of the previews for some previous specials have, and then have kind of turned out to be a little bit like that. So I'm looking forward to it. So you're predicting that it'll be good. I'm predicting, yeah. Well, I'm predicting, you know, there's this there's this issue about uh, when they brought, so I, I don't know if they'll have anything to do with the genetic, or the, uh, what is the, uh, the looms. The looms no. from which the... No. 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 But, but when they brought, they brought Rassilon back, so... But that was from TV. The looms are not from TV. Those are I know, from crazy but, new adventure novels, right? I know. Yeah, that's still, from Lung Barrow. There's still... No Lung Barrow. still... Okay, well, there's still something, there's still something nuts going on there. We have, you know, the master is not peaked there. There's no master. No. We don't know. We <laughs> no. Oh no! no. So, I'm giving know. you a guarantee. There are no looms. No, and so you think no, no master, no looms, no Rassilon. I just feel like there are. All right, well, we'll see. Rassilon, I bet, will be mentioned. He's a important guy. But they, I, I'm just wondering if they'll bring back some of the scene from. Uh, uh, I mean, they would have, you know, from the Rassilon scenes in uh, was End of Time and. Um, Forgot the other name. Of the bring, t- bring Timothy Dalton back. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. But... Well, no, but I just think there's there's something there's loose ends that they set for us, and I wonder what there's traps <laughs> uh, they will spring. I, I think I think uh, Stephen Moffat's more concerned with his own loose ends than Russell Davis's loose ends, but we'll see. <laughs> yes. Okay. We'll see. Fair enough. Erica Chip, do you have any predictions about uh, about the fiftieth? I think it's going to be fan wank tastic. <laughs> I... <laughs> I really think that it doesn't matter what the story does, that there are going to be enough nods to the past in it that my little fangirl heart is going to be going pitter-pat, pitter-pat, and I won't really care what's happening until the second or third time I watch it and then start thinking about the plot. Uh, I just, I think I'm going to love it, and that's good enough for me. Uh, likewise, uh, I've seen I, I've seen more than I want to really of the trailers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There 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 are enough clues in there about what's going on. One of the things yeah. that fascinates me is that there are some very clear nods to the cl- to the classic series, including uh, the return of uh, uh, of a group of characters that uh, I will not spoil for those who haven't seen it. 
Um, but there are nods to there, there. There's even a picture of chameleon on the wall in yeah. the background. The 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 rope the the robot that did not that work, work in the Peter Davison <laughs> episodes. <laughs> You know, there. So, so Erica is spot on as far as the fan service is concerned. Uh, what I'm excited about is that, by all reports, um, David Tennant and Matt Smith had great chemistry on set, and we're going to see we're going to see the similarities and the differences between these two incredibly popular modern doctors, and that that fills me with glee. I'm going to predict that it will be a more coherent plot than the five doctors. What? <laughs> Boy, putting yourself out on a limb there. I, I huh, know. Jason? I've seen the five doctors like 20 times and no I love it. Happened. And the, 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 that's right. The podcast of Rassilon. <laughs> yeah, the death zone. The terrible Zodin. I know it's going to be better than the five doctors. I'm sorry. It's going to be better than the five doctors. It's certainly going to be more, co- more coherent. And I, too, will probably pay more attention the second or third time I watch it, uh, partially because the second or third time I watch it, I will be in a movie theater watching it in 3D. Same here. Which will be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I decided not to watch it on the day of, uh, which I could have, it turns out, but uh, I'm gonna we're going to stay home and watch that as a family, and then on the Monday night, we're going to go, uh, my wife and I are going to go and, and watch it in the, in the theater. I'm trying to wrestle on up some people to go with me. Oh, oh. Let's see what you did there. Having a hard time right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the 3D, but, I, you know, come on, let's give it a shot. It's Doctor Who in 3D. When am I going to see that again? I'm not going to buy a 3D TV, I'll tell you that. You have to have a Dalek <laughs> plunger come out of the screen and go, that's what I, uh, I want to see. A three-dimensional Dalek. That's right. Three-dimensional John Hurt. It turns out in 3D, the Daleks are flat. That's the thing they wouldn't tell you in the uh, <laughs> They're actually just... Uh, Strange. They can, they can fly now, but they, they can't extrude into a, a third dimension. <laughs> That's their secret. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn I, can't believe, I can't believe these super nerdy things that you, that you, you actually have hope might be in the, in the 50th. We'll see. If, if the... I, I don't. I think, I think they're going to surprise us. I think they're going to be some... some I think the, maybe it's more of the illusion. I think you're right. It's, I don't think we'll see. But, but, you know, I thought End of Time was... There were so many surprising things in some previous seasons. We were like, you know, they bring back Rassilon and all that crap. So, yeah. Unexplained Rassilon. Guy named exactly. Rassilon. I guess the it's the end. same guy, but it's, he was dead. It's and, who? Has he but, got a name? Huh? Well, all right, whatever. Okay. Oh, the end of time. Wow. Oh, boy. What a, Those are good times. What a good mess. End of times. What a good mess that times. was. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast. I yeah. liked that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I'm look, all I know <laughs> is causality is broken and they're not going to fix it. I, and... I watched. Um, I watched the what is it? Uh, it's the Stolen Earth and yeah. Journey's End. Journey's End. Yeah. And I, as I watched Journey's End, I thought, wow, you know, this would have been a really great last episode for David Tennant. It's yes. not. Oh, I yeah. so in my in my head canon, that's where it ends. That's like, where it ends. That's it. Which is it's too bad on one level because I do love the Waters of Mars. I think that's a great episode. But but the specials in general weren't that great, other than the Waters of Mars, which I I did love. And that was such a that would have been such a dramatic sad ending and instead it's not erica nice did you just say in your head canon head canon yes i did head canon i like that that's good <laughs> i can't so take credit for it too. but i'm happy to that's disseminate good. it and pass it that's on to the masses excellent i have that for sherlock holmes i don't have it for doctor who i, I will once again recommend there's an excellent episode of the two minute time lord where where chip spoke to an expert about canon in the more traditional sense and how that could be applied the, the same sort of principles to 
Doctor Who canon, and I thought that was an oh. excellent episode, so I'll put it in the show notes. It People was. should check it out. It was. Well done, Chip. I, 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 I appreciate it. That is uh, Mark Goodacre, a uh, professor of uh, professor of New Testament history at Duke University, and he and I just sat down and geeked out about Doctor Who canon and what the word canon means and where it comes from, yeah. and it was a great conversation. It's really great. I love that stuff. I love stuff like that where it's we're taking it back apart. And trying to figure out why, how, how do we get to this point where everybody's got a different, and it turns out it's not that different, that Doctor Who fans trying to say what we're going to honor and what we're not, not that different from <laughs> how religions define what is in the book and what is out of the book. Uh, fascinating thing. So. The, little, the little blue book. Basically, as Doctor Who is to television, so Legion of Superheroes is to comics. <laughs> wow. That's about, well, and there's, isn't there time travel too? That's really kind there of... is and fifty years of backstory that's yeah, impossible see? to reconcile. All right, right, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I remember that from when I was in unit back in the seventies, or was it the eighties? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we don't. Speak we don't of speak that. of it. No, we'll go back to a Star Trek reference. They are Klingons. We do not speak of it. <laughs> exactly. I'll explain later. <clears throat> All right. Well, this has been great to just geek out about Doctor Who. It's the 50th. This is why we did this. And, and we'll do a, a, a flash cast, hopefully, in the next few days as well um, about the episode itself. But it's been fun to kind of retread uh, Doctor Who. 50 years, many doctors, many stories, lots of fans, and uh, lots of people discovering Doctor Who over the years, too. Um, so this has been great. And I would like to thank now my three fellow travelers, my... I'm not going to call you my companions. I just can't do it because that <laughs> puts me in the place of being the doctor and I'm not going to do that. The doctor is off screen. Uh, one of my fellow travelers, Glenn Fleischman, thank you for being here. Good to hear from you again. Thanks for having me back. But, you know, in the next episode, I'll have been in all the previous ones. I've got it figured out. I can't wait to see who which actor is playing the second Glenn. <laughs> uh, Erica Ensign, thank you again for being on this three. Third time's the charm now. Hooray! Yes, I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Really, I mean, you've asked me to talk about some of my favorite things. So (laughs) thank you for being my Doctor Who, one of my Doctor Who ringers too. I thought that was that I made I made a conscious effort of getting the people who have a long storied history with Doctor Who, and then we'll get the usual suspects back together for the for the fiftieth episode and tear it apart. (laughs) For tonight, we we enjoy and Chip. You know, again, uh, Chip Sutter. I can say your name now. (sighs) Ah. It's out there. Uh, who makes one of my favorite Doctor Who podcasts? Nay, one of my favorite podcasts. And it's great to be able to talk to you about Doctor Who um, again on The Incomparable. Thank you so much for being here. Jason, you were fantastic. And you know what? So, so was I. you. Yes. <laughs> fantastic. Well, and that brings us to the end. This is the end. But the moment has been prepared for. I was the watcher all along. I'm Jason Snell, your host and the watcher. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Okay, time for a little post-credit sequence. We're back with panelist Glenn Fleischman. Glenn's our unofficial sponsor, our extra sponsor, because he's got a Kickstarter. You may not know, Glenn is the editor, owner, and publisher of something called The Magazine. It's an interesting magazine filled with lots of interesting writing. It's published every two weeks, or I guess we're being very British in this episode. We could say it's fortnightly, right? Fortnightly. And uh, so it's not just an iOS app, but it's also a website publishing at the-magazine.org, and you can get everything. Everything there, right, Glenn? 
Yeah, it works. It's got uh, responsive design, the latest thing, not the latest thing anymore. And you can read it on mobile and desktop and, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, it started as an iOS app, and it's a great reading experience there. But the website is, is very, very similar, but it's hard to let people know that. It's not just an iOS thing. Right. You can read it anywhere. And, and that what we're talking about today, for, for people out there, this is the sponsorship, is if they go to the-magazine.org slash book, they will be taken to a magical place where they discover your Kickstarter that you're doing for the magazine, right? I know this is crazy. It's like Pinocchio. I, we want to be a real book. So we're going <laughs> to have been talking about it for a long time is that the economics are so weird in this industry. So we have a successful electronic publication. But in order to take it to the next level, what we really need is to go into print because <laughs> um, people like print books and we can't. We can't make everyone happy with an electronic publication or with a subscription. And people have told us since practically the thing launched, uh, when Marco Arment founded it, uh, that they wanted something they could hold in their hands that wasn't an iPad, like a book they could actually hold, they could give away as a gift, they could sit down and read and use reflected light from a lamp onto their eyes to read it. So we kind of went all out. It's going to be a hardcover book. It's every spread is being designed. We're taking all the illustration and photography and even more we're going to commission a new feature for it and um this is going to be a it's going to be like a magazine in a book so it will have um the a look of features like you get in a magazine but it's going to be meant to be something that that lasts and have a nice hardcover and offset printing and the rest it's gonna be a real thing and there are all sorts of different uh pledge levels you can get an ebook you can get a you can get the hardcover book and as we record this there's even an early bird special so if you're one of the first uh 750 to get in you'll get a you'll get a discount over the over the full price and then there's crazy because it's kickstarter right there's crazy stuff that you can get you can get thanked in the book you can get multiple copies of the book you can get copies of uh illustrations that are in the book and then uh my favorites glenn are the are the visits yes if if they're Let's say 20 people out there liked you very much, Jason, and they wanted to get you to visit. If those 20 people just came up with $25 and uh, 10 cents, I can't do the math, (laughs) then they could raise $5,001 and get you all expenses paid by us from that amount to come out and record an episode of The Incomparable with them. That's right. It, it's uh, for $5,001. I will come anywhere in the continental U.S. I will buy you buy dinner for two people. I will record an episode of The Incomparable in your home to be determined whether we have other guests on via Skype or whether it's an interview that I do with you and your friends about what they like in the world of geeky culture. Um, scheduled sometime it's, in 2014. That's $5,001 because so it's- I... I want it to be one dollar more than the Lex Friedman option, where Lex Friedman comes to visit you. He's just five thousand dollars, so you could get one person with five thousand and one dollars, or five thousand and one people with, with one dollar each. Yes. Only dinner for two, but I'm only going to buy dinner for two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to have fun, and you know, you mentioned Lex, and I mentioned you. Is the funny thing about the magazine is there's a pretty close overlap with the incomparable staff. Is in this collection, especially, and especially in some of the earlier issues when Marco went to people he knew to contribute some of the great early essays we did, and and also some of the later ones are from folks like John Syracuse, Scott McNulty, Lisa Schmeiser. Yeah, let's run through the list. There are seven incomparable panelists who, <laughs> who are in this book. Was, and I will point out, it was not intentional. I selected entirely for content and then was like, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> so Serenity Caldwell, John Syracuse, Scott McNulty, Lisa Schmeiser, Philip Michaels, Lex Friedman, and me are all in the book, which is another reason why you need to go, wouldn't you say, Glenn, to v-magazine.org slash book and back the Kickstarter and get a beautiful hardcover book with great writing, including seven pieces from incomparable panelists. 
I would say yes. There's also a lot of pieces about gaming and video games in there, including Scott McNulty's lovely article about D&D and how it helped him sort of sort out his introversion, which is uh, you know one of my favorite pieces about gaming is that article, in fact. Yeah, and a great piece about Journey from John Syracuse. So oh, lots yeah. of things that are keying off of things that you've heard about in The Incomparable, too, which is pretty cool. It, it is true. All right, so that's it, the-magazine.org slash book. And Glenn did not compensate me for this, but uh, I thought that incomparable (laughs) listeners would like to know. So thanks, Glenn. Thank you, and thank you, listeners.